Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO at Science. And I'm Harry Evans, Director of Craft and Strategy at Science. Today's episode with a pretty well-known figure in our space, Samantha McKenna, or Sam, as she's known, Sam Sales. Ooh, this is a fun one. Yeah, Sam was fantastic. Really happy to have had some time with her. Sam is the founder of Sam Sales, which makes sense. And she's also the former head of enterprise sales for New York City at LinkedIn. So she had a lot of interesting things to say about LinkedIn. Some other things that she's done on the side or does on the side, she is the strategic advisor, author, or board member. And I'm only going to name some of these places. You might have heard of them. Sales Assembly, Sales Hacker, Northwestern University, GTM Fund, Dooley Revenue Collective. And again, I'm just cutting the list short at that point. It's a mouthful. <laughs> well, the good news was is that we, we squeezed, I think, about 49 minutes of her time into an episode that you really don't want to miss. You know, the, the thing that she refers to her primary day job, Sam Sales, I really love this label. She called herself a trusted mechanic, you know, because people come to her for consulting largely to get their own sales house in order, especially with their BDR, SDR teams. Oh, yeah. And it was really interesting to see, well, first of all, the signs behind her. So you'll have to see that in the episode. She has two great signs and is always looking for a third. And also, she had the best idea for closed loss deals that I think we've heard yet on the podcast. but. Rather than spoil it, I think everyone's going to have to wait and find out. Welcome back to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. I'm stoked to be here. Really excited to talk about a number of topics today. And the first I wanted to jump into, you know, Eric and I were talking about Sam Shorts and Sam Sales and all the different versions of uh, Sam Selling that are out there now. <laughs> We've been hearing about it. We've seen you online. We've uh, our shared friends at Sales Assembly have obviously been repping wow. you recently. So <laughs> I think it'd be a great place to start with our conversation. Is just tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, well, our Sam shorts come in a few varieties. You know, Bermuda, cargo, etc. Just kidding, guys. Um, yeah, I think you know when we started the sales consulting. When I started the sales consulting company, one of the things that I noticed was an inordinate amount of individual contributors, BDRs, even leaders were reaching out and saying, "Hey, can I?" you know, book some time. Can I pay you to consult? And I was like, well, I'm like, my my hourly rate's not so friendly for individuals. So <laughs> started to think like, how can we get this content in people's heads? And we started a um, short video subscription library. Uh, the shorts have, you know, three to four minute videos, although there are some masterclasses in there for the longer haul, but really teaching you everything that you need to know about sales, like how to write a great outbound email, what show me, you know me means, if you can see it in our, our background that's framed on our wall, urgent bird gets the worm, all this stuff, like what is it that you need to know to be a great sales rep? And frankly, it'd be a great leader, how to hire a BDR, how to run a one-on-one, -on -one, all that jazz. But what's interesting, I think about our business is we've been around for 26 months now, almost. We just signed our 97th client today. We grew what feels like overnight. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I think everything that we do keeps being born out of client demand and underserved markets. So it's in a wild ride to see, you know, going from just a few consulting gigs to 16 employees and almost 100 clients. That's fantastic. So tell me, jumping right into it, what are some of the the most common kind of like problems, especially when you're coming in and reformatting or refactoring a BDR team? 
Yeah, I think that the groundwork is really fundamental of how this is set up. And I think a lot of organizations just don't know what good looks like. So what tech stack should you have? What processes should you put in place? How do we write, you know, just even a great email? You know, most of the people we talk to don't even know the difference between there and there or your, your and your. And we're like, oh, my gosh. So it's how do we put this together? I think that's the most important part. When organizations come to us, sometimes they're like, hey, can you train us on negotiation, you know, 401? And I'm like, sure. How are your discovery calls? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, they suck. But hey, negotiation. I'm like, great. So I think that's one of the most common mistakes I see is we just kind of start with gut instinct versus hiring a professional or being data driven. We were just speaking to somebody right before this podcast who, you know, they have seven or eight sequences going in a platform I've never heard of. And each sequence has three emails and their open rate, their open rate is 0.2%. And they're like, is that good? And I'm like, where do we begin? Um, so I think it, it's that, right? Making sure that we have the fundamentals down, the foundations of being a BDR seems to be missing and is unbelievably important. Well, that's like a rounding error, like two tenths of one percent. I don't. I don't even. <laughs> Did know you mean like ten point two or? <laughs> but yeah, definitely, definitely a rounding error there. <laughs> I feel like that was two people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's what the hell are you guys doing over there? The point two percent. I mean, what it? What is it? How bad can your subject line be? Now they're going to listen to this and not hire us. Great. <laughs> Well, that's it. it. Deliverability is is actually a huge issue that a lot of people get really, really wrong. And when they do so, the the fixes, if they don't know what they're doing, can make it things a lot worse. Completely. Or if you hire, you know, a really crappy vendor to do this that doesn't have a governance, right? Or gets your your handles blacklisted from their from servers. I mean, you can get into so much trouble so fast. We're we're an outreach shop here. They're a client. We're a client. We're a partner. You know, we love them. Um, so quick plug to them if you guys don't use them or anyone listening doesn't. I mean, best in breed through and through. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I've actually worked at Outreach for a little under two years in the past. Ah. <laughs> so we have a pretty close relationship with the outreach folks as well. And uh, uh, yeah, they're a pretty amazing group. Did, did you know uh, Lee Cohen when you were there? <laughs> I worked with Lee a bunch. Yeah, he's a great guy. I was there when he, he was brought on. Uh, yeah, well, I, I not only did I help Lee get his job there, but he was the officiant in my wedding. <laughs> it is a very small world around here. That is, that is for sure. World. You know, yeah. you, you were talking about the sophistication and the various levels of sophistication that organizations have. I'm curious, what is your discovery like when you start working with clients as you're trying to figure out where they are in the in the process? Yeah, I think, again, this is, so one, when we talk to organizations, we usually focus on two starting points and we focus on outbound emails and what those sequences look like and then discovery. And what I find that most people get wrong about discovery, right, which I think is what we do well, how we engage with people, is that they really, those reps, right, or those sales teams make it about themselves. Discovery isn't about the other person, it's about me. And it's not. So we, we talk about how sales and dating is so alike all the time here. And so if you you showed up to a first date, which is your discovery call, and you talked about yourself the whole time. <laughs> what are the odds, unless someone's really desperate to get married, what are the odds that we're moving to that second date, right? Same thing with discovery. If we're not solving a bleeding problem, right? If we're not the only vendor that can do that, if we show up and talk about ourselves the whole time, we're going to turn off those buyers. Plus, it gives, selfishly, it gives us no information about them at all. 
So for us, our discovery, the way we do it with clients is the same way we coach. And it's number one, show up with show me, you know me. What do you know about the people? Where have they worked before? Who do you have in common? Can you add credibility to yourself just by virtue of those things, right? Like perhaps they know people who are your clients. Perhaps they know like the Matt Greens of the world, unfortunately, who work at Sales Assembly. Perhaps they've previously worked for people who are your clients. There's all these connective threads you can build in. But then also... Where are these people based? What does their company do? Tell me a little bit about the space that they're in. Five, six minutes of research before a call, you know all of this stuff. We can unpack all of that because I do think it's important. But then on the flip, it's like, how do you know when to transition from rapport building to getting down to business, coaching people to also make sure that they don't let like a, like a long piece of silence go through because sometimes they do that and the prospect's like, okay, are we going to get going or what? And then how to kick off that discovery call. And what we say every single time, right, is we could tell you a million things about Sam Sales, but we'd love to hear about you first. Tell us a little bit about your challenges, your team, you know, what's the overall landscape like over there, if that's okay. And breaking that down into three sections, I can tell you about myself and I will. Tell me about you first. And then if that's okay, asking for permission is the best way to open up a conversation, which will give you, I don't know, six or seven minutes of just on and on and on about what's going on there and give you everything you need to decide if it's for you or if it's a challenge that somebody else can solve. So interesting. Discovery is so attached at the hip to outbound and people, they always seem to like miss the boat, don't they? On <sighs> kind of tying those two motions together around, we want to open up this conversation. We want to start. There's a rhythm and a cadencing to any sales cycle that's going to happen. And if I don't learn about you at the beginning, like where can this relationship go? Completely. Well, and I think that the easiest way to turn me off from wanting to work with somebody is when people show up and they're like, you know, where'd you work before Sam sales? Uh, well, uh, where are you based? Well, <laughs> clearly you know nothing about us, right? But it's so important. And frankly, this is to me, it's table stakes, but it is such a differentiator because nobody does that. I, I posted about this a while ago on LinkedIn for the reps who say, the senior reps who say, I don't need to do my research. I'm pro. I can just wing it. I'm like, that's amazing. I know. Uh, that's amazing. What do you do when you show up to a call? You say what we've coached you to say, and somebody says, sure. Tell me what you know about me first. You are SOL. That's a shit out of luck for any newbies out there. Um, but you're you're up a creek. There's nothing that you can do, right? You're going to stammer and then you're going to try to Google feverishly and look over here while you're typing and trying to talk to them. No, do your research. You know, it's funny too. I think that one of the things that is plaguing to sales is not enough time spent on the buy side, not yeah. enough time with any sort of empathy to understanding what it's like to be a buyer or would-be buyer, getting or generating interest and then carrying it through an entire sales cycle. Do you find that that's also one of the, the problems, if you will? Completely. Yeah, because I think I think so many people who are in sales, right? One, don't see this as a long game and two, are so selfishly driven. We, um, I did a great campaign with LinkedIn in January of last year before we got into our pandemic. And my, my segment for them was all about the perfect discovery call. And what I said is you have one job on this call. It is to solve the challenge of your buyer, either by something that you do or by someone that you know that you can recommend them. And, and that's what, to me, what it's about. It's really about how 
how to figure out how we can solve that, that person's challenge, how we can empathize with their position, how we can understand that they're trying, they gave us time because they genuinely have a challenge that they need to solve and how to either be that solution or to refer them. And what I would say is, you know, to me, well, I want to sell people all day long, every single day. I also get such a kick when I get on a call with someone and they say, hey, can Sam sales fly us to the moon? That's what we're here to do. And I'm like, hmm. um, no, but my friend Jeff Bezos over here can and his very strategically shaped spaceship um, and he can take you up. But the chance for me to say no to just basically disqualify them for me for that time being and to say like I want to help you solve your challenge and I know somebody who can help you is killer because one I now become that trusted mechanic that none of us have in our lives but two they're going to be like thanks for just giving a shit about me right and when they need something next time or when somebody else says we need a sales trainer they're going to be like Sam seems like an upstanding citizen you should talk to her. So how do you take someone who's two months into their first role as an SDR or a salesperson and teach them empathy in the context of enterprise buying cycles. It's uh, it's something that a lot of people talk about. You have to do this. Yeah. And then if, what? <laughs> if you are, well, I think if you're, if you're two months into this, right, if you're a BDR, if you're a new AE to enterprise and you're figuring out the first thing I would tell you, you, you probably have to hustle your buns off. Unless you work for a brand like a Salesforce or a LinkedIn or an Accenture or something like that, that everybody knows about, you need to bust your ass, right, to succeed. And what I would say is you're, that empathy comes into play when you don't have only two or three opportunities in front of you or, or calls that will make your number. Figure out how to get to that 5X. I don't care what your close ratio is. I don't care if you work for someone that has a 35% close ratio. Get to your 5X, have a shitload of irons in the fire, irons and fire. Yeah. And make sure that when one of the calls you're talking to says, Hey, we can't use you right now, or we're going to, our contract's going to delay, or I'm going to need more time to make this decision. My CMO just quit. I need to wait that you, you're not reliant on just that one opportunity to get you over the line, because that was what lets you say like, that's okay. Cause I've got 17 others that are going to kill it. So I can be empathetic too. I can be that great character salesperson that you've never probably experienced in your life. And I can display that empathy. But to me, it is, it's making sure we have more than enough, right? So that we don't care about the one or two that might delay or might not close. This sounds like, I'm sure you're familiar with Josh Braun. He talks about detaching from, from the result. I think we have a lot of shared connections, but it sounds eerily familiar to that same concept. Can I, can I tell you that Josh Braun is literally texting me right now about a car he wants to buy because I just bought one and now he's like, I want that same car. And he, he messages me daily. He's like, I'm, I'm at the dealership. What should I do? I'm like, buy it. Um, so yeah, I know him. <laughs> it's a very small world between, uh, you know, we were talking off offline about Rajiv Nathan, who is another one of our previous guests. And you gave a shout out to Matt Green, shout out to Matt and also Jeff with the sales assembly. I gave a shout out to Matt Green. No, no, definitely <laughs> Jeff Rossett though. And definitely Christina Brady, but not Matt. <laughs> Yet another guest. So yeah, the, the sales and sales development world is quite small. Love that idea about the best way to detach from the outcome is do the extra work, fill up the pipeline to 5X, get even more than the extra you need so that you don't feel as attached, and then just put down all of the agenda and figure out how to solve a problem. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. 
And I think that's that's it too. Like you're you're displaying that empathy and you understanding where someone's coming from, where they, they are probably feeling like they're disappointing you if they can't move forward with that deal or get you what they said that they were going to get you. If you are displaying the empathy, what I love about it is you're surprising them with your behavior, right? Because you are in their minds, you know, a greedy sales rep that just wants to get your deal over the line. So when you show that empathy, they're going to be like, that's weird. And I'll segue to just one other thing we talk about here at Sam Sales is the idea of how to be a gracious loser. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm huge on is handwritten thank you notes. We have a whole, it's going to sound inauthentic here, but or disingenuous, but we have a whole system for thank you notes uh, at our company. And one of the things that we do is we send thank you notes when we lose a deal. And every sales rep we talk to is like, that's bananas. And I'm like, <laughs> why? And they're like, because you lost the deal. Who cares? What am I thankful for? I'm like, oh my God. And so if you send a thank you note to somebody that says, I wish things had gone differently. I'm so appreciative though, that we had a chance to even be considered in this. I wish you nothing but the best, even though it's going to suck because you didn't hire me. Um, Don't say that. Wish you nothing but the best. Can't wait to keep in touch. You are going to knock somebody flat out of their chair when they get a card like that. And guess what? When that competitor shits the bed, they're going to come to you because you're the only one that even bothered to reply after they told you no. That's the ultimate pattern interrupt, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God, for sure. And it's, it, it is so shocking to people. Let's talk about that long game. Let me point you back to clients that I've had at every single company I've worked with at worked at, including Sam sales, who would just continue to hire us because we represent a great brand, but also because we just have good character because we're not assholes most of the time. You know, it's like the old quote, I forget who said it. And I also forget the exact language behind it, but it's something to the effect of, of you can, you know, the measure of a person is how they treat someone who can't do anything for you. Yeah. And I think as a salesperson, it just, it, it, it takes away all the sales breath when you do something like that. I think that's going to make me sound so conceited, but like that, that is what bleeds through my veins because I feel like people are surprised, right? They're surprised when you go out of their, out of your way for them. They're surprised when you do something selfless for them as a salesperson where we're working on a a deal and we're competing with some, none of the names you've mentioned so far, but we're competing with a few other consultants in the space. And I'm hoping that one of the things that gets us over the line is we're doing a charity event on November 18th. In fact, sales assembly is a sponsor. And I said, you know, we're doing, I'm paying for this out of the goodness of my heart because I want to make an impact. We've raised $43,000 or so right now for four great charities. And I think that that surprises people because it's, it's not, you know, smoke and mirrors. Like we really give a shit about this stuff. And it's, it's, I think a good differentiator to show we just have different, a different set of, of principles, I think, than most salespeople. You know, the, the quote that popped into my mind at the exact same sentence time that you said yours, Harry, was, uh, I think Maya Angelou said, you know, I've, People will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no. And I I think like this is it too. We um, just posted about this a couple of weeks ago. We're um, we're really big on on grand gestures over here and just remembering little things. In fact, I'll tell you something that sounds really creepy, but we have, I have a book of all kinds of facts about our, um, our clients and our prospective clients. I was on the phone this morning with Perry Hart, who's the chief marketing officer of Dell Tech here in, in DC. And he's like, do you have dogs? He's like, we're getting a dog. And I'm like, you don't say. And I have written down, doodle, black and white, December 18th. Perry, you're welcome. Everybody's going to now send you stuff because they want to sell you. But we keep track of these things like that so that we can just show that we give a shit about people, right? And it there has to be a process to it. Can't possibly remember everything, but most of the sheet is filled with 
people's, you know, dog information. I don't know if you guys know um, Greg Salkovich. Uh, do you know him, a recruiter in Chicago? Great um, guy. Yeah, great guy. He sent a sent us a, a referral the other day that closed. So we sent Waffles, his dog, some dog toys, you know, just to say thanks. We addressed it to Waffles. People, people will remember that stuff because you made them feel great and like you actually cared about them. It's funny. That's actually one of the concepts that made Greg take off is, you know, the recruiting space is not known for empathy all the time. And he, he certainly shows that he's posted a lot of similar things as well. So yeah, shout out to Greg as well. A great person. <laughs> he's awesome. so, so it's funny, you were talking about a number of different types of groups that you work with. And when we chatted offline, you mentioned that a lot of times you're either working with groups that are spinning off their first internal SDR organization or BDR organization, or have recently done it and are just learning of all the lovely challenges that go with that, <laughs> uh, which is not entirely different from doing it for the first time. So have got a number of questions along those lines. I think the first one is of all the different places to start, you know, as you mentioned, you've got emails, you've got just the simple stuff and then all of the lofty things that you want to get them to. Yeah. How do you tell people to start strategically like for the, for the leader who's trying to figure this out and what does this look like over the next three, six, 12 months? How should they be thinking about building an internal SDR org? Yeah. So I think a lot of, a lot of customers come to us for outsource BDRs first. It's something that we did for probably about a year, but we found people were coming to us in a really desperate time, like the, the bride a month before her wedding, who's like, I need to lose 40 pounds. And we're like, not going to happen. So what we, what we did though, is we really started to think about an outsource BDR piece is a plug for something that you eventually want to build in house. So we start to think about what is your long-term plan? Are you, did you guys just get seed funding, series A, series B? What's the, what's the plan, you know, for the next 12 to 24 months. And I think what's interesting is that a lot of people hire us one to just not make expensive mistakes. Some of our best engagements have started with just a few hours of, can we run by you, run by you what we're doing? Tell us, you know, kind of what our strategy is. And then, let's go from there. So they run it by us. We say it's awful. And they're like, shit. And so then it grows from there. I think what's interesting though, is the reason you want to be strategic when you set these up is it is a very, very expensive mistake to make if you don't nail it right. So if you don't know what you're doing, if you are a founder who has never run a sales team, who has never hired, who has, you know, doesn't know what sequence and trigger means, you know, when it comes to outreach, if you don't know what those things are, you need to hire someone who can just tell you and give you a framework of what to do. And I think, again, those foundations are so important from getting the right technology, having the right content in there, hiring the right talent, and then making sure that we've, you know, we're going after the right accounts as well. I'll say, I think another thing, you know, in just getting started, it's incredibly important that you have a marketing engine going before you hire your salespeople. I think a lot of founders just think sales, 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 like that's what's going to make me money. Like, don't burn somebody who's going to have to really work on outbound. Don't burn all that money on that person until you've got, you know, some kind of inbound, even if it's one or two leads a week, there needs to be something there. The other thing I'll say is not being strategic and winging it means that you're going to make a ton of mistakes and it'll be even more expensive, not factoring in the time you've lost and the crappy technology you've probably onboarded because you didn't know any better, but just to revamp those processes and to reteach everybody. I'll say one more thing on that too, just um, thinking about hiring your BDRs. This is one thing that tends to like shock people when we say this of like, I never thought of this. If you are hiring a business development rep for the first time, hell, even if you're hiring an AE, 
think about a writing sample that we want to ask in the interview process. And we, we typically ask for two. So one, it's write me three to 500 words on whatever the hell you want to write me about. It's always interesting when people come back and they're like, well, what about specifically? I'm like, Jesus, just go do it. I just said whatever. And then the second thing is send them a few questions. So send them four or five questions, right? Make one of the questions a two-parter on the same number and just see if they can answer all the questions. What's their grammar like? How do they organize their responses? Do they answer three out of the four questions? It will blow your mind to see the responses that come back and will help you filter out the weak from the strong in a heartbeat. Sounds like, um, by way of summary, some of the most expensive mistakes that you see routinely are around people's bullheadedness or pride or ego saying like, hey, if I'm a domain expert at founding a company or coding or whatever else it is I'm good at, hey, how hard can it be to go and you know stand up a, an SDR, BDR team? <laughs> Completely. And I, I think it's the, the same perspective that people have, let's say, on like working with recruiters. Amy Volus is a dear friend of mine, if you guys don't know, know yep. her, right? And you think about working with Amy, like there's a, there's a fee to even get the party started with Amy. And then there's a hefty recruiting fee. But what you're buying is that expertise, right? And that people are like, how hard can this be? I can do it myself. Holy moly, right? That investment makes such a difference in making sure you get the right caliber of people instead of just trying to figure it out for yourself, stubbornly thinking that you're awesome, even if they are awesome and that you can do it by yourself. I love that the premium model has really come back in, in spades. And now the idea of, you know, I remember at my time at Outreach, people used to say, well, you guys charge for ProServe. Some of your competitors don't. And we used to say, yep, that, that is absolutely true. We, we put a lot more money into ProServe, you know, things <laughs> like that, you know, saying, yeah, we are going to sell these more expensive things because you really want it. People are willing to pay for it. There's a there's a great speech in the office, which I know so many of our listeners have heard. If you haven't heard this one, go back and listen to James Spader talking about why small little companies are, are actually scaring the big ones. It's a, a fantastic yeah. sales speech. I, I was just gonna well, I was gonna say one my my husband would go toe-to-toe with you on quoting the office that is on 24 hours a day in our house. Although now I think friends is also competing because it's on Comedy Central. But anyway, I was gonna say I think the the paying paying for the premium to your exact point is making a comeback because it really is about quality over that quantity. We just brought on a, a very large cable company uh, as I think our, that was our 95th client and their procurement team came back. I'll, I'll candidly tell you guys, we uh, it was about $31,000 for seven hours of training. So that's a lot of money for not a lot of work. And the procurement team came back and they're like, you charge like 10x an hour, what our normal trainers do. Like, why should we pay that? And I'm like... <laughs> How much time do you have? I wasn't that much of a jerk, but I but you talked about it, right? Like you're buying that experience, like the record-breaking history, the working at LinkedIn, like you're paying for that. We're not just a run-of-the-mill shop. And if you want to run in the mill shop, that's cool. But you know, we also we don't discount on things like that because we know we know we're worth it. We know what we're gonna bring to the table. I love that. And you know, one question that came to mind a little bit earlier when you were talking, and don't worry, your answer, whatever it is, will not offend us at science. That's okay. <laughs> When you are talking to a company that's looking at the question, maybe for the first time or early in their their development of, should we outsource? Should we go internal? If we outsource, how much do we do of that? And then when do we shift to both or just internal? Again, no offense will be taken, but what are your thoughts on, on internal stand-ups versus, or stand-up internal teams versus outsourcing? 
I think it really depends on the long-term growth and what you have in place right now. So we, you know, we have companies who they have no interest in ever doing this, right? They just, they want to stay small and modest. They want their founder to close most of the deals, maybe an extra salesperson. They just don't want to make that investment. Like I think outsourcing is great for that. Outsourcing is also great for testing new markets, new product lines. Um, You know, we became a partner to outreach when outreach said like, Hey, we hear, you know, law firms really well and can help us out. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. I was like, for a price. But like, you know, let's let's test that out. What does a partnership model look like? Would that work for us? I also think it's great as a way to get at bats while you're building things internally, right? So again, we we talk to clients all the time who want the outsource piece and we say, that's great. Like, let's do that for the next six months, right? Let's get your at-bats, let's get pipeline going and let's do that while we're building the internal structure. If you want to grow, if you eventually want to be, you know, a billion dollar valuation company, right? You're it's going to be more cost effective and helpful for you to build those people from the ground up and promote them than just outsourcing for the rest of your life. I'm really curious. You said something earlier that I want to dive deeper into because I've long been a big proponent. The CMO and me can't help himself <laughs> on the combination and really the kind of like hand in glove, yin yang relationship between inbound and outbound. Mm-hmm. And most people don't appreciate, they think of them as separate, separate side of the street, sides of the street where I fundamentally disagree. And it sounds like you do too. Yeah. I think the, do you mean in terms of like how, how it plays a role in sales or what in specifically in what context? Yeah. And also that outbound campaigns affect inbound. Those that don't believe that need better CRM and attribution models. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, I think one of the things that's interesting about outbound, right. And especially how SDRs are measured, or sometimes you are, and we've all probably been in these same shoes, but you are cranking out these emails. Like you're being really smart. You're doing your show me, you know me. Someone reads your email and then they go to the website and fill out a contact us form. And then it goes to an inbound SDR who's like, I made my number. And you're like, no, that was mine. Right. Or then it gets attributed to marketing. Um, Sorry, Eric. Uh, And then you're like hair tossing and we're like, wait, wait, that's ours. You know, of course that's the, the battle as old as time of sales against marketing. But I think the other thing too, is to think about how, you know, your campaigns can make a difference to the point that they get forwarded around an organization, right? And then you've got different lines of business, different buyer personas that are reaching out, looking at your site, turning into MQLs. And again, marketing is, you know, cheered on and sure it's, you're wonderful and you do a great job. Um, but you're cheered on when, when there was an impact from sales, right. And it's, especially if you don't have systems that talk to each other in a smart way, you're incapable of seeing that or incapable of tracking the data of what's working that then is driving that further interest. Well, and you, you mentioned it, but I, I'd actually be curious to know what are some of the hallmarks of those campaigns that you see getting forwarded around, including, you know, maybe you want to share not too many secrets, but like any of the secrets that you would go in and charge a boatload of money. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. I'll be happy to consult for free. No worries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what a podcast is all about. Come on. <laughs> you're to me, you're number one. It doesn't matter what is in your email. If you're not nailing the subject line and nailing that first sentence, you could offer me a million dollars in it and have something like cloud computing or, you know, misdo your, miswrite your brackets in your outreach campaign. And that's say like in first, first comma, last name, bracket, whatever. If that sales sub, if that subject line is salesy, I'm not even opening it, right? It needs to nail it. So this is where we talk about show me, you know me. Um, If we plug things together, right? So like, Harry, if I was reaching out to you, I might say like, 
outreach plus Leah Cohen plus, unfortunately, Matt Green, something like that in the subject line. That subject line makes no sense to anybody on the planet except for you. And when you see that, you're like, what is this? It's different. And my first, my first sentence always, right? There's so much data out there that's like, you have to address the problem right away, blah, blah, blah. Forget it. Be a human. Don't be a robot. So my first sentence would be, Harry, we have yet to be properly introduced, but Lee has nothing but terrible things to say about you and said I should reach out and see if we can broker a conversation. I'd say something about the value proposition specifically to what I'm trying to reach um, you about, right? So not just like, we'll help you generate more leads and help you use Navigator, but I would get say something specific as a challenge where you could say, that sounds great in theory. I'd need to hear more to see if it's a fit for us. You can tell Lee to take a hike. Happy to book meetings with you. Happy to book a meeting with you. The other thing I think to think about with those emails is it has to fit your brand. So we, as a line of business, we rewrite the content and sequences for a ton of our clients. Um, you know, we and run the gamut of what we what we do in terms of those sequences from you know high intent inbound to uh, outbound enterprise, all that stuff. But we have people who are like, hey, I love Gong's emails. They have means in them. They're super cool. Let's put gifts in ours. And we're like, cool, you're one of the fifth largest law firms in the world. I'm not really sure that that fits your brand. We should do something a little bit more buttoned up. So it has to fit who you are from a culture perspective. We recently wrote a campaign for a company called Touchcast, which is a really cool virtual events platform. And we put, you know, just a ton of things in there about like, Going out of the old times of, you know, doing clunky, crappy presentations, we did plays on like Whitesnake and 80s music and things like that. And then, you know, but like people were like, this is hilarious. And we're like, we know, do you want a meeting? <laughs> David Coverdale lives. <laughs> man, forever. How many Gen Zs are like, who right now listening to this? And you're like, take a hike. <laughs> do you not know Tawny Katane? Come on. <laughs> Oh, you guys, I referenced, I said something about Snots, the dog from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to one of our one of our clients, AE's Ricky, if he's listening. And he's like, I don't know that movie. It's like really old, Sam. And I'm like, bite me, Ricky. I was so mad. Wow. <laughs> so old. You. Holy crap. You anyway. know, I get this, I get the sense just hearing some of your copy and the way that you communicate that you obviously like to incorporate humor when possible. And to your point, when it applies to the, the voice of the company, uh, but we actually also interviewed someone, I'm guessing you're also familiar with uh, John Selig, who has a lot to say about comedy yeah. and sales. How much do you utilize humor? And are you using it across the board just in different ways to be tactful or is it only at certain times? Like, what are your thoughts on humor and sales? For me, um, it, to me, it's only appropriate if we have something cheeky that we we can we can use that makes sense if somebody doesn't know us. Otherwise, we're pretty buttoned up until they meet us. When you when you see my LinkedIn profile in my headline, I have overly enthusiastic in there. It's more of a warning um, than a you know an, a characteristic of me. So you're not alarmed when you get on the phone or on the Zoom. But if somebody doesn't know our personality already, they might not get the tone effectively. They might not appreciate a winky face. They might think it's suggestive. Who the hell knows? So the only time I think we've used humor lately is we were trying to reach out to a gentleman named Sam, and I can't even remember what company it was, but we did Sam, his last name, plus Sam McKenna, plus Sam Sales. Too many Sams? No such thing. And the subject line, he hasn't responded. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. But other than that, until you get on the phone with me and you see that that's my personality, I don't really use it. Unless you're a big follower of ours, you already know that that's kind of my style because there's usually some humor in my posts on LinkedIn. 
I, I just like to toe the line a little bit, be a little bit more professional, and then they can see who I am. Frankly, though, we get on calls sometimes where people are just like, hello, how are you? I'm, I'd like to talk to you about consulting. And you're like, oh, Jesus, okay. And there is no room for humor. They just want to get to business and they do not want to tell you what kind of dogs they have. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. Well, <laughs> you've mentioned uh, LinkedIn a little bit and you, you mentioned how that's one of your strong suits, obviously. You also believe worked in LinkedIn. So you, you have some frontline knowledge. One of the most common questions we get at Science from our clients didn't mean to be a poet there, but uh, it is, what do we do with LinkedIn? There are some people just use it for research. Some people are using it now from everything from in-mails to sending blind connection requests to, to everything in between. I've seen all sorts of every type of inappropriate and just terrible LinkedIn marketing or sales email come my way. I'm sure you've seen the same. Oh, yeah. And I've also seen some really great usages. I've seen some people that used to work at LinkedIn who became just killer salespeople. Shout out to, to Nick, who used to work at Outreach as well, just oh, building a Camp- pipeline. Campanelli? Of, yeah, Campanelli. Yeah. Um, and, and so just Weird. building a pipeline off of LinkedIn tactics very successfully. I, I stole as many tricks as possible. So how do you approach LinkedIn? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things I would say. So being such an enthusiastic advocate of LinkedIn is how I got to LinkedIn. I probably seven or eight years ago started posting all these tricks, tips and tricks that I had. I would tell them to my peers. I would tell my boss's boss's boss. And they were like, that's fascinating. We've never thought of that. And I'm like, how are you in your role? And I'm here as an individual contributor. That's great. And I decided, well, maybe I'll post it on LinkedIn. I'll throw a hashtag on there. That's where hashtag Sam sales comes from. Because I was like, maybe I'll do this more than once. And here we are 800,000 posts later, but I started posting and it got the attention of a lot of people at LinkedIn. Then I also deployed LinkedIn sales navigator globally. I was such an advocate about that on LinkedIn that LinkedIn called and said like, Hey, would you come and do a testimonial for us on behalf of my old employer at the time on 24? And I was like, what? Yes. I was beyond excited. I also got LinkedIn socks for doing it. I thought I was going to pee in my pants with excitement. Um, But what was interesting is when I was there, right, like the enthusiasm for what I was talking about, the platform came out and they were like, you have to work here. So just even using it as a way to build a brand and show people your thought leadership, what's in your head is amazing. When I was referred internally, my old boss, Matt Loop, who's now GM of APAC and Slack, he had no idea who the hell Sam McKenna was. And when we had our interview, it went great. But I said, hey, if you want to know everything that's in my head, take a look at my hashtag and you'll see what I believe in sales, leadership, et cetera. For all of you guys who are thinking about the great resignation and quitting your job and you know waiting until the end of the year to collect, you know, finish your year out printing money on your accelerators and then skipping, skipping town, what an incredible way for your employer to see who you are and how you engage with people and what you think of whatever profession you're in than by posting content on LinkedIn. What I will say is a little bit of how to use it. One, when you connect with somebody, there needs to be context. Why are you connecting? Was there an article you saw? Do you have people in common? And it's not, we have some similar connections. It's here are these two people that you know, that I know, and I love, and I thought I'd say hello. There needs to be some kind of context there. If you send me a connection request. So I have a follow button on mine. I cannot connect with everybody. You send me a connection request. It means you had to two two extra buttons to get there. If you don't send something in context, unless you're a VP of sales, it's like, I have money to spend in your headline. I'm probably not saying, yes, I'm going to decline you and move on. Go to the effort of making that connection request. Do not connect with somebody and then pitch them afterwards. My God. The other thing that I would say is when you connect with somebody, this happens to me 
probably half of the time, I'll connect with someone, I'll write something meaningful and say, I love this post, loved your article, saw you speak at this conference, blah, 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 would love to stay in touch. They accept and they don't say anything back. And I'm like, fine, whatever. But here's what I'll do. I'll still write back and I'll say, thanks so much for accepting, looking forward to staying in touch and seeing more of your content. Kind of to the note of what we were talking about earlier, like pleasantly surprising someone. When I send another message and somebody sees my name pop up after they've just accepted it, they're probably like, she's going to sell me something. And when they see that, I'm like, thanks. Can't wait to stay in touch. They're like, that's weird. And I'm like, I know. Wait two weeks and then I'm going to sell you. But that kind of stuff I think is really important. To me, if you post content on LinkedIn and if you do that, connecting with people meaningfully, you've already won. Connect with your buyer persona. You have a new subscriber to your content. You have somebody new who will now see the things that you post if you post something smart. That's a hell of a win to begin with. You know, I hate ever giving marketing a shout out, but something that Eric says all the time <laughs> me both, man. is uh, he says your LinkedIn page is your landing page especially yeah. as a salesperson or a sales development rep, somebody has to make a snap decision whether they want to have a conversation with you and whether they, you're the used car salesman. And you've got this beautiful landing page and there's hashtags to link to other content and all these other things. And meanwhile, your headline says your title. You know? yeah. Oh my God, sales, sales at. And this is this is interesting because we, we do obviously an inordinate amount of LinkedIn training for organizations. And they'll say like, hey, you know, come and do a session for us at SKO about posting content. And I'm like... I'm like, how about we do a different session at SKO and then we do a program and let's start with their profiles because I bet they're garbage. See this guy who has him chugging beer with his buddies and this one and see this one who has 17 pictures of his children. Not that we don't want that. And I'm really sorry if either of you have that and I didn't notice to begin with, but things like that or that reference other jobs or have titles in the headlines or have no about section or have zero recommendations or 79 connections. I'm like, Jesus, we can't start you know, a content campaign or doing that if if the basics aren't there first, full circle back to basics of foundations and sales. <laughs> you know, it's funny too. One of the things that we kind of like advise on with LinkedIn ourselves, mainly to clients and also internally, is right after that first connection is made, like the number one thing that you should be sending back around is some sort of gift, some sort of like appreciation. In fact, yeah. my favorite is hey, great to be connected. If you ever need an intro to anyone in my network, let me know. Yeah. You know, like completely shifts the dynamic right then and there. Well, and it's funny, the, I don't know if you guys know Daryl Prail, the CMO at Vanilla Soft, but he was in a, it was in a contest that Chili Piper was running the other day of like best CMOs out there. And I discovered the CMO of Sixth Sense in that poll. And I looked at her profile. Latini. Yeah, Lazani, she, and like, it really resonated with me. But what was interesting, now I'm calling her out. What was interesting is that she has 10,000 some odd followers, but on her posts on LinkedIn, she shares, she hits that share button, which you guys probably know is the worst thing that you can do to get your content seen. It LinkedIn throttles those posts because it's like, we've already seen this before. We're not excited about it. So I sent her the connection request and gave her the context, came across this because of Daryl, you know, harassing me to vote for him on this poll. And then what I basically did after that was she was like, thanks, so nice to connect. And I was like, I don't know if I'm out of line saying this, but I just wanted to send you some help. You have such a, you, you're the CMO of Sixth Sense. You have such a huge follower base. I recently posted about how the share button is, is the worst thing that you can do. I think your content could get so much more reach if you even, I don't know if you know that this is a thing or not. And she wrote back, she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, I know. Um, right. And it was just me being of help to her. But Candidly, now she knows that I've got some sort of expertise in at least one thing, right? So I'm helping 
but like I'm also getting a chance to demonstrate my thought leadership and what's in this nugget of mine. Although what's funny about it is she recently wrote a book that has no cold calls in the title. (laughs) (laughs) And the last. (laughs) Uh, Too funny. You know, one question I had, you mentioned where you start with, with most BDR campaigns. Do you usually focus on email over phones? Do you emphasize both channels? What are your thoughts on how those two interact? Yeah. So I think, again, like the the argument for the ages, I don't think the cold calling is done. And I do think that there's a place for it. I think it needs to be done with data. So for us, we're really about using email at scale, being smart, right? Using that show me, you know me, which can scale across 900 emails with the right subject line. You don't have to do it over and over again. But to me, the phone calls, it's not, it's not about smiling and dialing to me. Like we're not picking up a hundred phone calls, you know, making a hundred dials a day, 125. Cause here's what I do with those. One, I'm really annoyed by them. Two, I block everything that turns out to be a cold call. Three, as soon as I hear like bloop on my phone, I'm like, nope. And then I block. And then the other thing is, I think it, it was mid-year, but the show rate for cold call meetings was 37%. And it was an average of 11 calls to connect with somebody. So think about that. That is a lot of effing work to get a 37% show rate. However, if I've sent you a few emails and I can see, let's say you've opened the last two, I'm going to give you a call. Let's say I see you open it and then somebody else opens it. I'm thinking that you're forwarding it to somebody. You guys are having a conversation. I'm going to give you a call. I'm going to use data so that I can actually use the phone call for my benefit, not try you 900 times only to have you likely not show. I will say the other thing is, I think it's dead for mostly AEs. Unless we're like chasing a proposal, we're trying to get somebody, we're just trying to see if they're still alive, whatever it is. But for AEs, I feel like there's so much more that they can do from being great social sellers, landing and expanding, using Navigator, being smart about the way that they use their prospecting time, that the phone the phone to me devalues an AEE, overhelps them. I'll go on record too saying I've never made a cold call in my life, which people get very upset about. And I've broken like 13 company records across the board. You're in trouble now. I know, I know. <laughs> what do you guys think? What's your perspective? Well, we think any cold calling is anything but dead. And the way that we leverage it in our organization is is really to specialize the task yeah. at hand. In fact, we have a few hundred what we call callers yeah. at science. And so, you know, I, I think that there's some real truth to the theory that if you do something all day, every day, long enough, you tend to get good at it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, and <laughs> and that's kind of the the goal of what we're pursuing. And joining that yeah. up with effective emailing and LinkedIn and use of other channels. We've also started seeing more success with exactly what you just said just now, using things like engagement campaigns. You know, somebody opens an email three times, go get them, go call them, or intent. We're actually building some new cool intent data type of things. But to your point, anything where, okay, now there's a reason to call. Yeah. Even better. But we do, we also do the mass calling combined because we, we have the people to do that. I will say too, like think about um, the impact that it can make to both inbound and outbound. Some people think that cold calling is only about outbound, right? Like that activity. But like if you if you get somebody that opens up an email or submits a contact us form, why even email them? Call them, right? Pick up that phone. Or if you get somebody, one of my um, an SDR blew my mind teaching me this, which is probably commonplace to you guys, but was like when I get somebody that responds to an email campaign and says I'd love to meet, send some times that work, I just call them, and I'm like, oh that's smart. And they're like, yeah, they're sitting at their desk. I know they're there. And then I can be like, let me just book it with you right now. And there's, it saves it back and forth. Right. And thank God they're not sending a calendar link along and being like, here's 
a calendar link for you to book time with me, my God. Um, but again, that's using data to be smart, right? And be efficient versus just dialing and dialing and dialing and hoping for the best. That's awesome. You, you know, I think we could pick your brain for another two or three hours. This has been <laughs> fantastic. With the last few minutes that we have, uh, if there's anything that you'd like to tell our, our audience about uh, Sam Sales, any of the millions of other initiatives you have going on, forgot to mention, we also interviewed some of your friends from Dooley the other day or oh, yeah. about They're to uh, Ryan and Ding. And uh, so, uh, you know, anything that you'd like to shout out to our audience that they should be aware of? Yeah, I think, you know, um, feel free to go to our website, samsalesconsulting.com. We have a great email that goes out every single Friday. A um, few thousand subscribers gets over 50% open rate. And anything that you really want from us is in there. Our Sam shorts are available. We often run little promotions on them. So if you want to, if it's not already inexpensive enough for you, uh, feel free to hang out. And the thing I, th I think I would finally leave you with, like kind of a tie to Dooley is just think about, you know, for yourself as a rep or as a leader to give first everywhere you possibly can. Daniel, who is a BDR at Dooley, put out a post on LinkedIn and said, I'm so close to hitting my quarter for October. Can somebody help me? And we we helped him. We're like, send me send me a couple of profiles of people you want to meet. Uh, we looked at him. It was actually Lee. We connected him with Lee. He's like, do you know Leah Cohen? And I was like, yes. Uh, <laughs> and helped him hit his quarter. So think about how you can do wonderful things for people who can't do anything for you and before they've done anything for you uh, positively. And what a great way to start a relationship. Well, speaking of wonderful, Samantha, you have been wonderful for us. Oh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate the, the conversation. Thank Total you. Total blast. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.